We're in the second week of a three-week series called Moving Out, and you heard Jeff last week, you'll hear me this week, and you'll hear Dr. Perkins next week, and I'll talk a little bit more about him today. But um, Moving Out is really, it's about the kingdom of God. And Jesus spoke so often about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he shared stories and parables about it. He embodied it with his life and his actions. And then he invites you and me to come and live in the kingdom of God with him, both now while we're living on earth and then on into eternity. Uh, And this kingdom of God is always moving out to the farthest reaches and inviting people to enter in to abundant life in Christ. So I'm going to talk with you about the kingdom of God. First, I'm going to sit at the table, and I'm going to set a table as a metaphor for the kingdom of God. Because a table or mealtime across the generations, across culture, across the globe, often speaks this common language for people. And it's a language of welcome and hospitality, of celebration and sharing, of connection and belonging and laughter and love. And unfortunately, it does not speak this language for cats, though our our cat Sammy lobbies every day at every meal uh, for the table to speak hospitality and welcome and belonging to her. Um, Through repeated attempts, she joins us at the table every day. She sometimes even tries uh, like this stealth behavior. She creeps under the tablecloth, hoping we wouldn't see her as she invites herself to the table. But for humans, this table often means community, belonging. So it is um, of no surprise then that Jesus would use the Passover meal. He would use a meal to establish his new covenant with his um, disciples around the table. And he would take this common Passover bread and he would break it and he would say, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Then he took the common Passover wine and he gave thanks for it. And he said, take and drink, um, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. So Jesus used this first communion meal to describe how his broken body was going to heal the broken people around the table, around the world, and make them whole. And he intends that those who would receive his body and blood would not only be healed individually, but they would become one collectively, one body by the breaking of his body. Ephesians 2, 14 through 17 describes it like this. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So the kingdom table then, is it's a peace table. This power of Christ to make peace, to make one, that which has been divided and separated and hostile in our world. And I don't think I need to share one story to help you see how divided and hostile and separated we are in the world. And this kingdom table is a fam, or it's a family table. Ephesians 2 goes on to say, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So we are adopted as sons and daughters in God's family, and then we are members of his household. We are brothers and sisters of this kingdom table. We are, it's a new definition of family. 
and the kingdom table is a reconciliation table. Second Corinthians 5 says, you will no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. The old is gone, the new has come, and all of it is from God, who is reconciling us to himself through Jesus, and then giving us this ministry of reconciliation. So the church is to to demonstrate this new social order across race and economics and culture with our primary identity shared at the head of the table in Jesus Christ. And the kingdom table is a justice table. Um, The words righteousness and justice are linked together 24 times in the Bible. And I tend to think about justice as Jesus setting things right. And so in Isaiah 42, in the message version, there's just this great passage that describes Jesus as justice. And it says this. Take a good look at my servant. I'm backing him to the hilt. He's the one I chose, and I couldn't be more pleased with him. I have bathed him with my spirit, my life. He'll set everything right among the nations. He won't call attention to what he does with loud speeches or gaudy parades. He won't brush aside the bruised and the hurt. He won't disregard the small and the insignificant. But he will steadily and firmly set things right. He won't tire out and quit, and he won't be stopped until he has finished his work to set things right on earth. So this king is on the move. He's restoring the world. And I think I might just write him in, Jesus for president. Um, The kingdom table is also a diverse table. Just start by looking at the disciples that Jesus had around the table with him at the Passover meal. They were a mix of people. And think about who Jesus invited to the table. If you read the Gospels, you will see that Jesus is often at a meal or he's coming to a meal or going from a meal and he's always making sure people know who's invited to this table. And then he just lives it. He, he um, eats and he drinks with the rich and the poor, the young and the old, men and women, Sadducees and Pharisees, Samaritans, tax collectors, prostitutes, thieves, all are invited and this, this table is a diverse table of people across the nations, of people of different skin color, worship styles, cultures, and backgrounds, all united by the head of the table, Jesus, whose body was broken for them and whose blood was poured out for their sin. And we're not going to see this kingdom of God in full until Jesus comes again. But he does tell us that as his followers, we have access in his power to experience this kingdom while we're alive today on earth. A kingdom of grace and healing and power that stands united while everything else splinters into chaos around us. And the Bible not only tells us we can experience this kingdom life, but with Jesus not physically present on the earth anymore, the church through Christ's spirit, is to actually be the physical body of Jesus left on earth, to bear witness to the world of this Jesus, uh, the healer, the peacemaker, the reconciler, the justice bringer. It's the church that is to be a witness of hope to a world that might be hungry for this kingdom. And the kingdom um, also speaks of service, this table. It's from this table that Jesus got up, And he took a cloth and he wrapped it around his waist and he washed his disciples' feet. And then he told them to move out, 
to move out from the table and to do the same, to serve. And as they would lovingly serve, to invite people back to know this brilliant king and his wonderful kingdom. And a huge part of my discipleship around this table has involved lessons that God has taught me through service. Uh, My parents modeled beautiful service to me, Uh, service of one another, service to their children, their family, their friends, their church family, their neighbors, and then they didn't really stop there. They, They served well into our community. So from the time that I've been a child, uh, God has used service to grow compassion in my heart, to help me see differences in my life from other people's lives. Uh, he helped me see that service touched people's lives with kindness and with love, um, not only others' lives, but my own life. Scripture came to life as I would read about this Jesus who served and sacrificed his whole life. And as I would read verse after verse after verse of this God who cares so deeply for the oppressed, the rejected, the suffering, the vulnerable. And about 30 years into my serving, or a few more years than that, I began to wrestle with a new set of questions. Uh, As Jesus kept showing me this captivating vision of himself and this kingdom... I started to ask, how much was Christ's church experiencing and reflecting this kingdom community in the world? And just like we learned in Families Without Fear, I can only steward myself. And so I really had to look at my own place at the table. And I could see that, you know, my chair had pretty sturdy legs. And other brothers' and sisters' chairs did not. And I could see that my plate always had plenty of food. But other plates on the table just had crumbs. I could see that I knew from my place that there were brothers and sisters of different race and culture and backgrounds that were desperately trying to tell me something. But I couldn't see them and I couldn't hear them because I was seated so far from them. And I noticed that I also would often come back to the same place at the table. And as I did, I looked up and I pretty much surrounded myself with people pretty similar to me who have a pretty similar but limited cultural worldview. So I began to think that perhaps I need some different table behaviors if I am going to more fully experience and participate in this rich kingdom work. And one thing I knew was that if I was going to follow Jesus and allow him to reorder my life in kingdom, in kingdom values, then I knew I needed to move my chair out and change it up and mix it up around the table. Uh, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And much of the work that God has to do in us is to transform our minds from how we tend to see and value people from a worldly point of view rather than a kingdom point of view. The pattern of the world is always to see people through comparison and competition and categories. Categories that divide us, they label us, and they always treat some people as more valuable than other people. And those categories, they're very embedded in us. They affect how we think, how we see, how we act, how we live. But Jesus sees people quite differently than we do. The Bible says every single person is made in the image of God. 
They are loved and valuable. Every person is broken and sinful. All of them in need of this Savior. Everybody's invited to the table. And everybody has gifts and purpose for the world. So Jesus really wants to redeem our eyesight and to give us kingdom eyes and ears. Eyes and ears that will first look to and listen to him, and then his eyes and ears for people. Uh, Especially people that we have learned to see as less valuable, or other, or different, or possibly enemy. So is this an easy task? No, it's a God-sized task. And that's why Jesus has to do it. But we participate with him in it. And so perhaps like me, you might need to mix it up at the table some so that you can better see and hear people who are different from you. I'm currently in a two-year leadership group with 23 Christians from around the world, or around the country, not around the world. Uh, we're a mixed group racially, and we sit at this table together, and we know that we need to do the important and the honest work of addressing race and racial injustice and healing together at the cross. And my friends are challenging me, and they are teaching me, and they are inspiring me. But I would not know them, or I would not be learning from them, had I not chosen to sit at a different place at the table. And I'm also watching others mix it up and sit next to people who are helping them gain kingdom eyes and ears. There are many stories. Here's just a few. Uh, Paul and Catherine Kruko, Mariah Cooper, Katie Trask, others, they saw the world coming to our city's doorstep through UNI International students. And they began to host these Friday night meals of welcome and hospitality, of conversation and sharing around the table. And it's a beautiful picture, literally, of kingdom table. And then a couple of weeks ago, I read in the bulletin this beautiful story of two men who uh, moved out from their comfortable chairs And they began this mutual friendship with a Christian brother who was um, isolated and alone in a local nursing home. It was just another beautiful story of kingdom work. Right now, there's something called One Table happening with women here at our church. And I think it's a six-week thing where one week people come to Orchard Hill and listen to someone's story. And then the next week, they're going to our partner, Harvest Vineyard, and listening to someone's story. And they're practicing this seeing and hearing through kingdom eyes and kingdom ears. And, of course, as Carla said, there's this huge, beautiful wall out in the atrium. And it's dedicated to children our congregation is sponsoring around the world. These sponsorships are so important for us to gain kingdom eyes and ears. Because we are not only givers in children's um, child sponsorship, but we learn to receive from others what they have to teach us about God, about life, about how we are all connected. My actions and my inaction really matters to the whole. So if you sponsor a child, thank you. And if you don't, but you have some interest, you have a couple weeks yet to visit with somebody at the event center. It's a great way. So hear this. Uh, To better bear witness to Jesus and his kingdom, we are likely going to need to move out of our comfortable chairs at the table and see and hear other people. And let me tell you something I'm learning. I actually don't know if God initially cares that I serve or that um, people are receiving my gifts because I think he cares more that I learn to receive people as gifts. 
And when that begins to happen, he begins to release everybody's gifts around the table in new community, new creation. And as I'm mixing up where I sit at the table, I'm gaining a fuller view of God and of other people and of myself. And the renewing of my mind involves my tongue. Uh, A lot of confession and repentance are needed, which I actually believe are the key to growth. Jesus has been rooting out and bringing out to light apathy and ignorance and arrogance that live in me from the way I have been formed in my particular category. Um, I'm finding I need to confess the many ways I try to control how far I move out rather than just trust and follow Jesus. I have to confess how I self-protect because I'm scared I might lose too much. And how I believe I am superior to people um, that I put in other categories. But I want to say that every time I do move out and take a step out, Jesus gives me three things. He gives me grace, he gives me gifts, and he gives me growth every time. And I know he'll do the same for you. And before we talk any more about moving out, Let me say that this kingdom journey toward peace and reconciliation, it demands the same for us at home as it does across our city and across our world. Moving seats at the table to better see or hear from a family member where there might be distance or hurt might be the very thing that Jesus is directing you and me to do to gain better kingdom eyes and ears and to grow kingdom hearts. So I want you to think about and pray about this set of questions when you go home today. What are your table habits? Who do you surround yourself with? Really, take an inventory. Who is around you in a given week? Who do you avoid? Who might God be wanting you to see and hear? We have to consider people we want to dismiss, ignore, dislike, blame, fear. And we have to remember that those we cast off are precisely central to whom Jesus moves toward in Scripture. And as we grow kingdom eyes and ears, Jesus modeled moving out with kingdom hands and feet into the world. Uh, Not only individually, but also corporately with all of our gifts being used together. This is where I'd like to tell you about Dr. Perkins a little bit. I was introduced to Dr. John Perkins about nine years ago. Somebody told me to go to a CCDA conference. And CCDA stands for Christian Community Development Association. Um, It is, uh, Dr. Perkins is really the father of CCDA. It's a movement that began in 1989. It's now a network of thousands of Christians who are committed to Christ And then they're also committed to working in their communities alongside neighbors who are largely marginalized and neighborhoods that are greatly neglected. And CCDA works towards serving with people, uh, not to people or for people, but alongside people, forming a new community of doing life together. John Perkins grew up under the crushing oppression of racism in the 30s and 40s in Mississippi. He and his wife, Vera May, moved to California to escape that madness, and while there, he became a follower of Christ. God called John Perkins and his wife and children back to Mississippi in 1960 to uh, share the good news of Jesus back home. 
And as John shared God's word with young people, he started coming face to face with the needs of people. And he realized that the whole gospel must address the whole person. Telling about the love of Jesus and discipling believers had to happen alongside showing the love of Jesus and working with the people for housing and education and food cooperatives. Um, these are things that the African American community had not been, um, not, had not had because at that point they had not been considered valuable enough to have those things in our society. Dr. Perkins believes that Jesus never separated evangelism and social action and that neither should the church. That Jesus' love must be show and tell. And in 1970, toward the end of the civil rights movement, John Perkins was thrown into jail and tortured nearly to death. He tells the story of seeing the hate in his enemy's eyes, feeling the hate in his heart, and asking God, God, you know, if you get me out of this thing... I want to preach a gospel that is bigger than racism, the racism that has so damaged both the oppressed and the oppressor. And God did save John's life, and he has been preaching this gospel of reconciliation through Jesus uh, for years across the country, across the world. I was in Jackson, Mississippi last month with my leadership group, and I had this opportunity to walk through the life and the ministry of Dr. Perkins for a day with he and some of his friends who had been with him from the early days. And here was this rich picture of kingdom table. They were brothers and sisters across race and economics and denomination, loving one another, living in community, uh, living in the word of God. And then this little band of disciples, they knew that they were to move out with their kingdom hands and feet among the poor and the marginalized to preach the good news and to reflect this kingdom community of healing, of peace, of reconciliation, of oneness, of justice. So you will get to hear Dr. Perkins next week. Um, As Carla said, Dave will be interviewing him um, at both services. And if you'd like just to learn a little bit more about him, there's a couple of his books at the event center. Um, He has, like, written many, many more books than that, but there's a couple of them here. Um, He'll also be speaking two different times at the Waterloo Center for the Arts um, on Saturday morning and Saturday evening. There is a link um, uh, at the bottom of that slide, and... um, I keep pointing there, but I know you're looking there. Uh, And then also in your bulletin. So tonight by midnight is the last time that you can sign up, and that won't be available anymore after tonight. So if you'd like to go, sign up today. Dr. Perkins is a leader of leaders. He's a mentor to thousands. I'm so grateful to Orchard Hill for your big welcoming heart for him and for his daughter Priscilla, who will be with us next week. But before we close, I want to just ask you a second uh, group of questions. What breaks your heart in our community and our world? What is breaking your heart? It's often an indicator of where God wants you to move into. Where might Jesus want you to join him? Where is he calling you to receive people um, so that you can work alongside him and them to set the world right? Know that God calls you individually, but he also calls us as a church, collectively with all of our body parts, all of our gifts working together out in the world. So pay attention to the restlessness. Pay attention to the convictions. Pay attention to the nudges. It's likely the place where he wants you to take a step. 
And I'm going to close with a couple of John Perkins quotes. He is this 85-year-old man. He can't help but preach when you start to talk with him. And he'll often get into a stance and he'll say things like, we got to be discipled, people. (laughs) That's my John Perkins impression. Okay. Uh, But he talks about being the outliving of the in-living Jesus. And he says it's time for the whole church to take the whole gospel on a whole mission to the whole world. It's time for us to prove that the purpose of the gospel is to reconcile people to God and people to one another across racial, cultural, social, and economic barriers. And finally, he says, love is the final fight. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are king, and you run a kingdom that is good, it is true, it is real, it is light, it is love. You've actually created us to desire to experience and live in and be a part of this kingdom with you. And so I pray today that you would liberate us, free us from everything that keeps us from kingdom living. I pray that you would take away familiarity and comfort, selfishness and pride, fear, hate, greed, whatever it is that just keeps us from taking steps uh, with you. And replace those things, Lord, with uh, courage and faith, hope, peace, assurance, compassion, love, so that we can join you on this grand adventure and that uh, we could join you so we could glorify you, so we could bless the world, so we could satisfy our hungry souls. In Jesus' name, amen.